KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. My name is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit. I'll be back in just a few minutes. That is a band called Witch's Hat. And my name is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It is KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, just about six minutes after 11 p.m. on uh, the 30th of October. Halloween, just around the corner. People have been celebrating Halloween, as a matter of fact, for the last few days, certainly over the weekend, and again tonight, and then tomorrow for... uh, whatever that brings, but at any rate, uh, we're going to do the show tonight, got Barge Quill, my friend Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com, 
He'll be on the air with me here in about 50 minutes or so. We may bring Kent on a little bit early tonight to do space weather together, since that's uh, what we sort of... Uh, one of the common interests that, that brought Kent and I together was the sun, as a matter of fact. So, anyway, we might get Kent on the air here a little bit uh, earlier than we normally do, maybe 11.45 or so. At any rate, uh, Bard's Quill, Kent Stedman, www.cyberspaceorbit.com. He'll be with us at some point in the near future here, okay? As I said, Halloween, we've done the show for the last three years with Kent uh, on Halloween. And so tonight, no different. We're going to do the third annual Halloween special with Kent Stedman. All right, so if you're interested in what he's up to, you can get on the web and check him out at cyberspaceorbit.com. That's C-Y-B-E-R-S-P-A-C-E, orbit.com. His orbit to my orbit. And uh, you can see what Kent's up to, okay? He's an amazing guy, an art professor, and an artist of great skill, and just one of the most creative people I've ever uh, run across in in my many days. And so, as always, I'm real pleased to have Kent with us on the air here. It's been a while since we've had him uh, on with us, so that'll be a fun time with Kent. All right, before we get to that, though, uh, let's do our duties, okay? Thanks to Debbie, Free Range Radio Theater. There you have it, you know. The original Mars Attacks, Orson Welles, War of the Worlds. Amazing stuff. And I may have to ask Kent a question about that. You know, there was uh, an underground conspiracy theory, and I'm sure it certainly uh, still exists. With regard to that uh, that particular uh, uh, broadcast, you know that it was actually a social engineering exercise that was put on and sponsored by some unnamed alphabet agency. You know that it was a spook deal, perfect for Halloween. You know the spooks are out this time of year. Anyway, um, we'll ask Ken about it because if any if anybody knows about that sort of stuff, it'll be Ken Stedman. So we'll ask him about it. But it does sort of make sense to me. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, I don't know anything about that. I wasn't really even thinking about it before the program, but I know they mentioned Princeton in the broadcast, and it's something that I hadn't recognized before. Maybe it just went right over me. But at any rate, uh, you know, Princeton is another one of those recruiting uh, centers for, uh, again, these unnamed intelligence, quote-unquote, services. So, anyway, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe SRI or someone like that was behind the War of the Worlds. Regardless, it was an amazing thing, and it was a great presentation, and I'm glad that uh, we got to hear it again tonight. Thanks to Debbie for doing it. Free Range Radio Theater every Monday, 10 p.m. until 11, just preceding this program. And uh, next week, I'm sure Debbie will have something else for you. As enjoyable. All right, before that, Jazz plus Blues equals the Monster Mash Tech Radio. Always giving us good stuff uh, with regard to our gadgetry. Between 6 and 7, Jeff Wheeler before that from 3 to 5, Uncommon Light, getting things going every Monday, all right? Okay, a uh, big thank you to Jan Irvin. The Pharmacratic Inquisition is a real one. And his book, Astrotheology and Shamanism, is a worthy read. We also uh, had a bit of music last week that was a mix. Started things off with a few songs from Lizzie and Tony, our friends Lizzie West and the White Buffalo. And then we sort of shifted gears and played some great new rock and roll from a band called Revolve. And, um, you know, speaking of Lizzie and Tony, congratulations. The Halloween party at the Tiger Hotel that was um, an event of note that went down on Saturday night, this last Saturday night, was great. I had a wonderful time, and I think it uh, was a successful event. sure appeared so to me as a, as a party goer. 
and it looked like everyone was having a great time, and you had a pretty good turnout. So anyway, thanks for putting that together. It looked like it was a tremendous amount of work, but uh, it was a great, great presentation and, uh, and a performance, an amazing performance by everybody who was involved. So thanks a whole lot to the guys uh, from, well, I guess from the hotel and uh, everybody associated with Lizzie and Tony for making great music, and also uh, from uh, the band Revolve, who also participated last week. So anyway, thanks for making wonderful songs and for sharing them with us. And if you missed the show, it's on the web, www.mikehagan.com. And you just have to sneak over to the archives or the music archives, and you can find out information about the program. You can download it, share it with your friends, and you can also find information about the bands and the musicians that are performing on the program, okay? All right, tonight, as I said, The Bard, Kent Stedman, CyberspaceOrbit.com, one of my most wonderful teachers and one of my best friends. Kent, of course, has been on the program many times, and I'm thrilled to have him back for our third annual Halloween broadcast, so it should be a really fun show. Kent is uh, amazing for those uninitiated, so stick around. We'll have him just in a bit, Kent Stedman. Midnight, as a matter of fact, maybe a little bit before, all right? We'll also be playing music tonight from a new record, a locally produced disc called Das Compilation. And it's a bunch of songs from local and regional artists. I want to thank Jason Kafer and everybody else who was involved in that production uh, for providing me with a copy of the CD and the station here. So anyway, we started things off with a band called Witch's Hat. In Halloween fashion, the song was called Dance Machine. We'll have more from Das Compilation throughout the program tonight. We'll also be joined in studio, perhaps, I'm not sure, uh, maybe soon, in the next few minutes, uh, we'll have to see by another new band that I was recently introduced to. They're called John Henry and the Engine. And I don't have any music from them right now, but maybe they'll bring some down with them. Anyway, lots in store, so stick around, all right? Let me play another one from Das Compilation. Well, I get my act together here, and we'll be back after that, okay? All right, it's Mike. You listen to KOPN 89.5 FM. We're on the web at kopn.org, and uh, it's Radio Orbit, all right? My website is www.mikehagan.com, and uh, we'll come back in just a minute, all right? This one is called A Toast to the Month of July, and it's the 30th of October, and so there's no particular reason, I guess, to play a song about July, except it's a great song that I like. And uh, so here it is. This is Shirelle C. Limes and the Lemons. A toast to the month of July. Check it out. It's Mike Evison to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia.
there you have it, Sherelle C. Lime and the Lemons. That's called, um, what did I say it was? A song about the month of July. All right, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's about 17 minutes after 11 p.m. on the 30th of October. And uh, we're doing the Halloween thing tonight. And as a matter of fact, we've got some gentlemen in the, in the, uh, in the studio with me here that are going to do a Halloween thing tomorrow night down at the Blue Fugue. Let's see, where's that? John, say hi. Hello. All right. And I'm going to throw all these other mics on just to... That's my radio voice. Whoa. Hello. <laughs> Hello, I'm John. All right, everybody. So anyway, we've got uh, with me here John Henry in the engine. And actually, I just met John a few weeks ago down there at the Blue Fugue, one of my little local haunts. But uh, he's got himself and some of the... Uh, I'm not we, sure if it's we, all the uh, guys, but we're Yeah, we're called John Henry in the engine. And uh, we're all up in the studio tonight. We've got Rob Martin on piano. What's up? Hey, Rob, what's up, man? we got AJ on drums. Yep. We have Mr. Steven, the Professor Sanger, on the bass, guitar, and vocals. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> another radio voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for coming down. Tell uh, the people why you came down. you got something going on uh, uh, yeah, the next couple of days. Um, tomorrow night, um, we're having a... We're, geez, we're having this really big Halloween party over at the Blue Fugue. We have a $2 cover charge. Uh, we have... Uh, Lots of drink specials. I think that's all I'm allowed to elaborate on. Is that, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting anything for doing this, so you can pretty much say whatever you want. Okay, Let's so here's what we got. We got uh, we have free martinis every hour. We've got uh, on the half hour, on the half hour, but every you know, every, right. on the 30 minute mark. Right, and right. then uh, we have a bunch of really cool bands. A ten dollar bottoms cut. We have Remedy, One Lone Car, Barn Owl, Tucker Booth, and then us. And it starts at nine o'clock. Uh, we actually have five free tickets to give away tonight if if anyone's out there. All right. If you listen on the web or if you want to give me a call. Well, I'll wait till we put a song on here. I'll have somebody call me here. <clears throat> but if you listen on the web and you're in the chat room, if you put a note up right now and you're local, I'll make sure I get you. We'll give away we'll give away a set of two and a set of three. How's that? That sounds fabulous. All right. Uh, so you hear that? we got a set of two and a set of three. The first person on the web uh, that's in the chat room that wants them that's local uh, you get the three, and then the first person who calls after we go to a music break here, you get the two or something like that. I don't yeah. know. It's going to be a big party. Uh, a lot of people are going to be wearing sexy costumes and non-sexy costumes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's uh, you know we're like an American rock and roll band, so if you if you feel like dancing, it's going to be it's going to be a great night. I think a lot of fun. Yeah, we've got uh, actually you guys brought me down a disc here, and I'm going to play a song here in a few minutes. Actually, before we, uh, after we talk for another minute. Okay. And I don't care what you say, I'm going to play the one that's called Terrible Beauty, okay. because it's Halloween and i got to play, it's got to be, that's the one. All right? That sounds so, that sounds okay, right? Sounds terrible. It's terrible <laughs> and beautiful. Beautiful. All right, so yeah, the Fugue on Tuesday nights, it's also sort of a combination. What John's mentioned, they do that every Tuesday night, they call it Sin, and it's a service industry night, and they welcome people that are out in the uh, entertainment industry and the bar industry out in town to, to go down there. And it's a great place, and I spend a lot of time down there, and there's also a lot of great music that goes through the bar. So There is, yeah, and uh, I, I know that tomorrow there's, you know, whatever style of music you're really into, right? I mean, they're going to be they're gonna be digging it, and, uh, you know, uh, we're called John Henry and the Engine, and, and we're... we're hip-hop. We no, <laughs> yeah, we have, we, yeah, we do. We do. We have hip-hop. We have reggae. We have rock and roll. We have another rock and roll band. Barn Owl is kind of like an indie rock band. Yeah, Barn Owl, I like it. We're, we're good, man. We're set for tomorrow. It's going to be a good time. All right, cool. So uh, tell us a little bit about the band. How long have you guys been together? 
we've been together in this this lineup a year and a month. A year and a month. And we just um, we actually today we just got a phone call. We're we're opening for Chuck Berry in St. Louis on November fifteenth. So right. It's kind of on. a huge deal. Like he's like our hero for for rock and roll. So yeah. Really wow. Big. That's a, it's a great honor, you guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Superman's yeah. my hero for real life. Yeah. <laughs> no. What's, what's he play these days? Superman, Metal. <laughs> <laughs> the skin flute. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> what is this? The Howard Stern show? All of a sudden. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm all right. So, um, you also told me, I think in uh, in a conversation we had last week, that you have something going on with MTV. I think. Yeah, I don't know just, how. Um, I guess it was like two weeks ago. We licensed our our record to MTV, so they're going to be playing. All of our songs on their uh, television shows. At first, the instrumental versions. And, yeah, doing uh, backgrounds for some yeah, of the, some of the TV programs. Pimping out their rides. While they're pimping out their rides. While they're and nexting. And, exactly. and while they're uh, parental Showing control. Showing their cribs. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's huge for us. So we're very excited. Wow. Things, all right. You got that. Like, you got Chuck Berry in St. Louis. A lot of good things clicking for you, obviously. Yeah. Things are, things are cracking. And, uh. All right, well, we're just having a good time, too. Hey, that's the way to do it. I mean, that's usually the way things work out best, actually, in my experience. So so keep doing that. Keep having a good time. And for people out there, uh, if you want to have a good time tomorrow night at the Blue Fugue, certainly John Henry and the Engine. What else we've got? Uh, uh, Big Medicine's going to be there. Uh, Barn Owl. Barn Owl. Uh, Remedy. 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 One Lone Car and Tucker Booth. Oh, it's not Big Medicine. Remedy's who, is I, who I was thinking. Right. Big Medicine's yeah. not going to be there. Yeah. Sort of a similar theme, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but yeah, and uh, you could check us out at myspace.com slash John Henry and the Engine, one word. And you got a website for the band as well, www.johnhenryandtheengine.com. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Dot net. Dot no, dot us. Dot something. You're going to confuse them. They're going to go to the wrong site. All right, myspace.com slash John Henry and the Engine. And also uh, their direct web, uh, website, www.johnhenryandtheengine.com. Yes, thank you very All much right. for having us. All right, we'll play a song here, and uh, I'll throw on another couple, too, as uh, I go through my program tonight, okay? Okay, great. And uh, one more time, tomorrow night at the Fugue, John Henry and the Engine, along with a bunch of other good bands. Yeah, check it out, and uh, here's a sample of what you're going to get. This one's called Terrible Beauty. What's the name of this EP? Is it an EP, or is it a full-length CD? It's, it's, a, it's kind of like a demo. Um, one, uh, two, we three, seven it, tracks. Yeah, seven tracks. So. All right, seven tracks. John Henry and the Engine. This is called Charlie Baby. Uh, the name of the disc, as a matter of fact, but this song is called Terrible Beauty. Thanks for coming down. Thank you. All right, right now. Thanks.
Yeah, one. dig it. All right. John Henry and the Engine. That's called Terrible Beauty. And uh, like I said, you can catch them tomorrow night at the Blue Fugue. There's a fun Halloween party going down there tomorrow night. Okay, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. It's about 28 minutes after 11 p.m. on the 30th of October. And let's see. Let's say hello. First of all, everyone listening over the traditional airwaves here in mid-Missouri. And also listening over the web, live or otherwise. We are streaming right now. Uh, we do the show live over the web every week via Cosmic Waves Radio Network. And uh, you can find us there at www.cosmicwavesradio.com. Thanks to all the girls and guys over there for making it happen for us every Monday, live on the net. And thanks also to my good friend Larry, the web wizard, as always, doing great stuff. Check out the website, www.mikehagan.com. Dot com. You'll see all the wonderful work that Larry's doing. Always something special there for you guys. So uh, just uh, take a visit over there. Wonderful artwork, music. Obviously, all the show archives are there and available for you. So just take a peek and uh, send us a note, too, and let us know what you think about it, all right? All right, take a look-see, and um, it'll be there if you're looking for it. All right, the forum has been busy. There are lots of interesting topics being discussed over there. There's a live chat room up and active. You can access all that stuff from the main website at MikeHagan.com. And uh, we'll peek in, as a matter of fact, into the forum and into the chat room as we go through the program tonight. I'm sure Kent will probably probably be joining us in there shortly, and we'll welcome questions and comments from anybody uh, joining us there uh, on the web. Okay, I want to encourage uh, guests as well as listeners you know, to join us in the chat room and on the forum. We welcome, obviously, all your input, whether it's live uh, on the air, or just uh, what's on your mind outside of this program, you know? Okay, the email address, orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, orbitradio at AOL.com. And uh, on the web, one more time, www.mikehagan.com. Okay, let's see. Let me get this uh, CD back in here, just so we can get something ready for our next uh, our next break. But let me tell you a little bit about what's coming up. Over the next few weeks, tonight, of course, we've got Ken Stedman, the wonderful wizard of cyberspaceorbit.com, and Kent will be with us in, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes probably. The week after that, the 6th of, uh, or the week after this, I should say, the 6th of November, David John Oates will have the pioneer of reverse speech on the program with a strange, strange phenomenon, this whole reverse speech business, and I've been looking into it more and more over the last few weeks. Even though I've been familiar with it for a long time, um, I never really, you know, it's been just sort of a uh, uh, sort of a passing uh, surface interest that I've had. But since I'm going to have David on the show, I've been looking pretty, pretty closely at it, or more closely than I have in the past, and it is a very strange and interesting phenomenon. So we'll let David John Oates tell us all about that reverse speech in a week, uh, let's see, after that, I think we'll probably take a week off and, and do an open line show and open chat. And then after that, we'll have, gosh, I've got some amazing things, you guys, uh, coming up. We've got Jack Cole, who's the executive director of LEAP. LEAP is an organization, well, the word L-E-A-P is an acronym. It stands for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And uh, this is a... This is not a decriminalization policy. This is a policy of legalization. And uh, anyway, Jack Cole, the executive director of LEAP, will be with us in, well, 
a few weeks. He'll be here actually on December 11th. In between now and then, we'll have a couple of really interesting shows. I'm not sure how exactly they're going to pan out. Stephen Buhner, um, sometime in between now and then. Jim Beard, my wonderful grandfather and elder in the Lakota tradition back in Colorado. I can't wait to have Grandfather Jim on the show. Jay Widener, I spoke with Jay today, as a matter of fact, uh, December 18th. We'll be doing sort of a winter solstice show with Jay Widener, talk about the new film, 2012, The Odyssey. And uh, Jay's got a new book out about uh, alchemy and cinema. Wonderful stuff that Jay Widener's putting out there into the world. So uh, Jay back on the program back in, uh, in December on the 18th. I have a man whose name is Father Tom Doyle who will be on the program sometime before the end of the year. He's a Catholic priest, and we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about, uh, quite frankly, the pedophile problem in the church. And uh, this was a man who was a Vatican insider and has a lot to say about what's going on in that particular institution. All right, so Father Tom Doyle, sometime before the end of the year, we have to firm up a date. Oh, well, I don't know. John Major Jenkins, I don't know. He's going to be leaving the country here pretty soon, going to South America, but he may call in when we have Jay on the air, something like that. But anyway, lots of great stuff, and I've got a few more uh, a few more irons in the fire, as they say, for some some really interesting programs to sort of finish up the year. We'll probably do a show um, on New Year's with Rick Levine, if he'd uh, be uh, kind enough to come back on the program, and we can talk about astrology and maybe predictions for 2007, and I can talk about, uh, I have an idea to do some sort of, mm, I don't know, maybe a list of like stories that were underreported in 2006, maybe my top four or five or something like that. You guys can maybe help with that sort of thing. So anyway, all right, we'll, uh, we'll do all that stuff as we roll right along. All right. So it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Let's take another break here. We'll play another song from the, uh, the disc that is called Das Compilation, and it is a bunch of music that's put together by a local group of, uh, well, music enthusiasts, and it includes a bunch of music from bands that are indigenous or make their home here in mid-Missouri or not far from here. All right? So this one, I think this is, uh, I always forget the name of the band, but it's a great name, and it's, uh, it's a great song. This is called... I am warm and powerful. And the band is called Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> All right, Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yeltsin. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. Back in just a minute.
All right, everybody. Hi, it's Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. This program is brought to you by listener support and a donation from Asby Metal Studio. Don Asby has been creating forged metalwork since 1972, specializing in sculpture, custom furniture, and architectural details, including gates, fire screens, and light fixtures. Information available at donasbee.com or 573 573- Six three five eight three six three. Hi, this is Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. When Chuck Norris donates blood, he does not use a syringe like normal people. He merely asks for a gun and a bucket. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. All right. Thanks, Tony, for our official Chuck Norris moment. We'll have a couple more of those as we move through the program tonight. you got to love them. Tony Friedman and uh, the wonderful Chuck Norris moments. All right, everybody. Hi, it's Mike, and we're back at you here. It's about 11.45 on the 30th of October. And you're listening to Radio Orbit. It is KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And we normally wait about 15 minutes or so before we bring our guests on the air. But uh, seeing as this is sort of a special guest, we're going to make it snappy and get right to him here. If you're familiar with the program, then you're certainly familiar with Kent Stedman. He's the bard, the wonderful wizard of cyberspaceorbit.com. As I've said many times, one of my most amazing teachers I've ever met in my life and one of my best friends and it's always a pleasure and a privilege to have him on the program and we're going to do the Halloween thing for the third year in a row and start right now and say Kent Stedman from your orbit to my orbit welcome to orbit howdy howdy happy Halloween everybody (laughs) (laughs) boo boo (laughs) what's going on any spirits running around over there oh yeah yeah yeah. what's new though right yeah I wonder how many Spirits there are compared to people. Yeah, what do we got? We got six billion supposedly alive. Some seem to be walking dead, but uh, how many people have died over all the years in the existence of the human species? I think we've. I think we have evidence that Homo sapiens have been on the planet about a hundred and thirty thousand years. I think that's the oldest skeleton they've found that that uh, that's just like us. Yeah, do we keep coming back to haunt Earth? Maybe we're all back. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that lady a few years ago that told you that everything was destroyed and that we were all dead, that lady on the bus? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, you're all dead anyway. So you just don't realize it. She's the reincarnation of the Ethiopian queen, what was her name? Like Shiva or something like that. Yeah. Oh, God. I guess that's. I idea. had a I had a, a a chunk of an artifact that I was not supposed to have on my possession. What kind uh, of an artifact? It, well, it was a piece of the pyramid. Of the. But that's uh, another. Uh, that's another story that was delivered to me by uh, a guy that claimed he was an angel. <laughs> One knocked on the door, wandered in the house. There were two of them: a tall angel and a short angel. Stuff like that happens to me all the time. <laughs> He reaches in a little pouch and hands me a sort of green, crusty, green-looking chunk of rock. He says, here, I just got back from the pyramid. Here's a piece of it. Meaning meaning in Giza? Yeah. So the Great Pyramid? Yeah. Cheops. So, so that was a 
piece of contraband you're not supposed to have on your possession a piece of the pyramid and it made me nervous and uh, shortly I got I am which means internet message from a lady here lives near me here in the, the Emerald City Seattle and somehow I mentioned oh I got a piece of the pyramid she said I want it and uh, so I said okay <laughs> and having never met her I, I had sauntered downtown one day and met her in a delicatessen right. and I gave her the piece of the pyramid and uh, while we were sitting there sipping coffee she said look out there and I looked out the window and she said, see all those people? She says, they're just after images. <laughs> they're like when you look at a bright light and you close your eyes hmm. and you still see a glow. But she says, no one is left except you and me. Shortly thereafter, she uh, put her little leather bag with a piece of the pyramid in her purse and sauntered out. And I was left spinning. That was it. Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, I don't know, vapor trails and this sort of thing, let me do space weather here. You can do it with me. We'll talk about what's happening up there, okay? Yeah, I did some quick, quick clicking here. Yeah, the, you know, the Mercury transit's coming up. That's kind of cool. <clears throat> That's Wednesday, I think, uh, the 8th of November. Mercury sort of passes right in front of the sun. Oh. And... Uh, that, and, you know, it's not always visible from the Americas, but this time, you know, the transit will be visible from, from you know, North America, from Hawaii, all on the Pacific Rim, and it's a great opportunity to see, um, you know, to see an event like that. And if you're an artist or a photographer, if you like astrophotography, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for that. Uh, yeah, uh, we won't see it on the Soho uh, space camera, which is a million miles out there, unless they catch the shadow of it as it crosses the uh, the the surface there. The it, surface. But uh, we do, another event is that uh, Venus, on the other side of the sun, catching a lot of reflected light of Venus and Mars just did a do -si do grab your partner. Let's do a right hand swing and let's do a left. They just passed each other more or less on the far side of the sun. So if yeah. you do look on Soho, you'll see uh, you'll see Mars and Venus glowing quite brightly. You know, and it's weird when you have these sort of uh, these conjunctions and passings and things like that. Uh, you know, I've been watching the sun, and there was there was another big solar wind stream that hit the Earth back on Friday night on the 28th. And yeah. it wasn't and it wasn't like a big geomagnetic storm or anything, but it was enough to spark, you know. Big time auroras again over the north in Scandinavia and Canada and Iceland and Greenland and the images. You know, I I, I go to sp the space weather, you know, and uh, man, the, the aurora gallery for October is pretty amazing. So the sun has is still is pretty active, Kent. Yeah, and due to mostly a very thin layer in the outer skin of the sun called coronal coronal holes, which allows a uh, the energy of the sun to stream out and kick up a big solar wind. There are no real serious flares or coronal mass ejections, but uh, we've had these coronal holes, which are another cat. Yeah, another whole animal altogether. What about this other one, Comet Swan? 
That, that there's I'm a Tawana. I'm trying. I I still haven't got the picture. I've heard a couple of opinions on it, and I don't know. I don't have scopes and astronomical calculators and things like that. But uh, I heard a guy. A guy told me the other day on messaging that the uh, Swan is actually doesn't come from the Orc Club, but it comes from somewhere else in the galaxy. It's just sort of passing through. But it went into outburst. When a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it got real bright. So you could see it if you lived in Utah or something, or Arizona. Arizona, yeah. I mean, it was a naked eye comet, everybody, for, for a while, and it was not expected to be such, and those things are supposed to be pretty rare, but we've had a lot of naked eye comets in the last 10 years, Ken. Yeah, and it's now, it's not an outburst, it's quieted down, and you can still see <clears> it with a telescope. Yeah, it's uh, sort of on the way out now, as it as it is. Comets. Comets. What else? Check this out. It's like um, I do this every week. You know, I go through these uh, sort of events that uh, are on the calendar as far as astronomy goes and stuff, right? Mm. So let's see. Um, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. Um, the science mapping mission begins. That's uh, today. No, that's on, on the 1st of November. Listen to this. This is a wonderful one. Uh, the United States Air Force Academy Triennial Military History Symposium. And the uh, topic this year is Harnessing the Heavens, National Defense Through Space. This is in Colorado Springs. And this is a big-time space weaponry, you know, conference. Great. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, November 1st through the 3rd, the workshop on massive galaxies over cosmic time. Uh, who knows what that is? I think a bunch of guys go there and eat acid or something. Uh, but I like to read how the, there are all these different things always going on. Listen to this. The 2006 American Society for Gravitational and Space Biology. That's a meeting that's going on in Arlington, Virginia in a couple days. It goes on for three for four days. Um, the Torrid Meteor Shower, that peaks in a couple days on the 3rd. I think that's Tuesday. And again, the Torrid Meteor Shower means that they come, relatively speaking, from our perspective, from the... Uh, the Taurus, the constellation of Taurus. Hey, Kent, remember Griffith Observatory? Mm-hmm. Remember the one that burned down? Yeah. They're reopening it on the 3rd of November. We should talk about that sometime, all those observatories and all that stuff that went down. Are they all... Something really strange was happening. Well, that was about the time that Los Alamos burnt, almost burnt down. That's exactly right. And I think that... Uh, what was passing by? Was one of those comets passing by, or? Gosh, I don't remember. I don't even Probably. remember. <laughs> but, I, but I remember that there was a, that it was like really was that comet. Why? Th- those all those astronomers died in France. Remember on that gondola where the gondola fell from the from the cable and killed nineteen like promising. Pro- yeah, after, a French. week after the cable had been uh, inspected. Yeah, and I mean there was a whole bunch of things that happened. Right Gene Shoemaker there. died over there. Gene by Shoemaker died. Yeah. Near. Was run off the road on, in his automobile in a real strange deal. Near a major spook center in Australia. You know he's you know he he um he spotted so many comets. There's all kinds of Shoemaker comets. It's just the ones that people were interested in were, were the ones you know that hit Jupiter. But but Gene Shoemaker identified I don't know how him and his wife as a matter of fact uh, they identified. 
I don't know, hundreds for sure of comets. There's all kinds of comets with his name on them. What else here? The 10th anniversary of Galileo, the, uh, the Callisto uh, flyby. And then also on the 4th of November, Kent, is the 25th anniversary of Venera. This was the Russian, uh, Venera 14 is a Russian Venus lander. Right, long time ago. Remember that? 19, in 1981. That actually touched down. We got a few seconds. Uh-huh, they actually landed it on Venus. Got a few seconds of it. Of some video. Rather right? spooky-looking surface. I wonder what else I got, you know? Anyway, let's see what else. Uh, asteroid, this or that, closest approach to Earth. And Fred Whipple, one of these guys that was a Harvard astronomer, the director of the Harvard program in, like, the early 1900s. Uh, would have been a hundred. Uh, maybe he is a hundred. He might still be alive. I think didn't he write sci-fi too? He was a bit of a dreamer. I'm not sure. All I know is that he was a big-time fancy Harvard astronomer, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure. And I don't know enough about him to say whether he did good work or whether I can endorse I him or he, not. You know. He is. I think he he published some articles in some of the like amazing analog science fiction and amazing stories. That I remember very early on as a young pup reading Whipple. Hmm. Hey, you know the great the great astrophysicists are dreamers. They're not uh, math geeks entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're even seeing more of that in in physics and science in general. Now. I mean, the whole idea of you know quantum mechanics and quantum physics is sort of an alchemical you know way of looking at the world. It's much more soft than the hard world of Newtonian physics, you know. Yeah, my son is now working, he's a computer science student, computer science student, and, uh... And a hot shot for Microsoft or something, too. Yeah, he's always been very analytical, you know, even when he was a little boy, he'd go out, go outside and line up rocks in straight lines, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he's in computer science now, and he says, you know, this is blowing my mind because we don't know whether it's a science or an art. Huh. Middle of but both, he, right? But he says, we're kind of, in research, we're writing our own rules right now because stuff happens that the uh, mainstream theory doesn't necessarily uh, huh. explain yet. So, you know, the engineers are getting ahead of the... Uh, the theorist right now, the uh, astrophysicist. Hmm. Stuff, engineers are doing stuff, making stuff happen. That, that there's no theory to support or whatever. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's happening all over the place, as a matter of fact. And I think that's eventually what's... I mean, anybody who doesn't think there's a crisis in science, you know, what they're just not paying attention. Well, and, and, I sh- and I guess I should say it's also a liberation of science because science, the way it's been peddled, you know, for the last 500 years has not been real science. It's been suppressive, oppressive science, you know. It's been science as religion. But now you get, you get laboratory engineers or whatever, you know, garage tinkerers and basement builders who now don't require the theory. theory. They're just doing it, you know what I mean? It works. I don't care how, how it works. I'm just telling you. They hold out their hand and say, "Look, you know." You, My son said, "Put it this way." He says, "If a cat says moo, it says moo." <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I forget who it was who was on the air with me. Jonathan Zapp just a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "You know," he said, 
something to the effect of it would only take one thing to convince people that all crows are not black. One white crow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, there it is. You know? I got a crow story. Man, it's Halloween. That's, I'll tell you what, that's a good cliffhanger. We're right, at, we're, we're right at the top of the... I got a crow story, too, all right? Okay. I'll tell my crow story. And you, well, you tell yours first, and then I'll tell mine. Because you I've tell been, yours first, and then I'll... Oh, man. <laughs> my, okay, we'll do it. All right, it's uh, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Kent, this will be fun. And um, Kent Stedman, my great friend uh, from cyberspaceorbit.com. Check him out on the web. You can do it uh, through my site at www.mikehagan.com or uh, directly at www.cyberspaceorbit.com. That's C-Y-B-E-R-S-P-A-C-E, orbit.com. All right, we'll be back with Kent in uh, just a few minutes. Let's see, let's play another song from John Henry and the Engine here. And uh, this one is called, appropriately, Midnight Eyes. Never heard it before, so uh, cross your fingers. I got a feeling it'll be a good one, though, all right? It's Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit. We'll be back with Kent in just a few minutes.
You're listening to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan on KOPN 89.5 FM. Alright, it is Mike, and you are listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's uh, just a few minutes after midnight, now officially Halloween, October 31st, 2006. And I'm uh, feeling good tonight and happy to bring Kent Stedman from Cyberspace Orbit back to you guys as we do every year on Halloween. So, uh, Bargeco, you still here? Yeah, let's... Uh, let's, let's this is Halloween, and uh, whether we speak of legend or uh, an honorable day of the year like All Hallows Eve, or whether we talk science, you know, it's all mind drip. So, <laughs> uh, so let's uh, tweak the imagination a little bit and put ourselves. Where should we put ourselves to do this for Halloween? Let's put ourselves in Ireland. Ireland, say uh, in. Uh, County Meath, mm. Boyne Valley. Yeah, by the way. at the edge of a little central lake, surrounded by the great cairns, Newgrange, Nouth, and Douth, and Hill of Terra. And we're on the edge of this lake, and there are seven campfires burning. And there, here we are now. Now, to, now we can tell our tales. Yeah, it's a great place to start. we got to have a fire burning for sure. And, uh,. We were talking about crows, or we were just about to start. Go, you go for it. All right, I love crows. First of all, some people talk about crows in a bad way, and I, I'm always offended. Uh, I think they're amazing, and I think they're a really smart bird. But anyway, um, all right, I'll start the, my, my story with my, my I'll, I'll plug my forum because uh, there's a section, uh, well, there's a thread on the on the forum over at mikehagan.com that's just called uh, Dream Section. One of the guys that posts over there uh, on my forum uh, started a thread about dreams, right? And there's a bunch of comments, and people are posting their dreams and trying to analyze one another's dreams and talking about some interesting things that have to do with dreaming. And I made a post uh, just today, as a matter of fact, and it says, I'm actually going to read you what I posted. It says, I couldn't tell you the last time I had a dream of much interest. Actually, I can tell you. It was April 2nd, 2000. I know that I dream, as we all must, but I virtually never recall anything. And when I do, it seems not to be remarkable. But my waking life is as strange as you can imagine. <laughs> and then, uh, anyway, I, I... Oh, good. Right. So, anyway, my, this this dream that I mentioned uh, of April 2nd, 2000, had to do with a crow. And uh, it's the most vivid dream that I've had, uh, well, up in, you know, up until now. I had some vivid dreams before that, but in the last six years, nothing even come close to, to what this was. So this is how it went. Um, it was April 2nd, uh, early in the morning, 2000, uh, the year 2000. I was dreaming about a group that I was corresponding with over the Internet called the Novelty Group. And this was a group that was, um, and still exists as a matter of fact, although it's changed into something that... Uh, 
uh, you know, as as all things do. But anyway, it was called the Novelty Group, and it was a, basically a listserv. You know, Ken, it was one of the early versions of bulletin boards and forums. You know, that was just over email and all text, basically. Ah, the good old days. In the good old days, right? So anyway, the Novelty Group, we would shoot emails back and forth, and it was a big group of people. And primarily, the discussion of this group was the work of Terence McKenna and novelty theory and the time wave and all this sort of thing, right? Right. But anyway, it was a real sharp group of people that were very interesting. And for me, uh, you know, uh, seven years ago or whatever, six years ago, uh, I was just uh, right in the heart of that as well. So it was totally my peer group, and I was really enjoying it, you know? So anyway, Terrence got sick, as everyone knows, and he had uh, a tumor, a brain tumor, and everyone was trying to... Well, many people were trying in their own way to help the family and try to raise money and somehow help with the treatment or, um, you know, any of the things that maybe Terrence might need as he was going through this whole deal. So one of the things that we embarked upon at the, at the novelty group was to make this CD. And it was a musical compilation of a bunch of musicians who were members of the novelty group, and it was produced by people in the, in the group. And it turned out to be this wonderful musical uh, production that was called Journey Through the Spheres. And it's a, a tribute to Terrence McKenna. And at any rate, in my dream, uh, I was in my own house, my own home, and a bunch of the people from the novelty group were there with me, although I'd never met them in the, in the meat world, you know. Uh, they were there, and they sort of were in the, you know, they were in the form that I guess I imagined them in my mind because I'd never met them before. But anyway, I knew them all, and uh, they were there, and we were all celebrating at my house because the novelty CD had been such a wonderful success, and there was a big stack of orders on the uh, kitchen counter, you know, that was like stacked up to the ceiling, and there was a bunch of money and checks and all this stuff laying around, and the uh, impression was that we had been successful and and sold a whole bunch of these CDs that we'd been working so hard on, and then uh, we're going to have a whole bunch of money, you know, for for Terrence and his family. So anyway, uh, in the midst of this party at my house where we're all celebrating, a crow flies right in through an open window and lands right on my shoulder and begins to speak to me in crow language, but I understand it perfectly. And it's Terrence. He's just talking to me, right? Right. But he's in the in the form of a crow. And anyway, uh, this was, even in the dream, I remember thinking how, you know, how strange this is. And at any rate, I'm not even sure what was said to this day. I think I was that morning, and I wrote it down in one of my journals. I'd have to go back to actually see if I, you know, how specific I was about the conversation that was being had. But at any rate, it was Terrence, and uh, within a few minutes, he took wing and flew right back out the window, right? Right. And that was that. So uh, I woke up, uh, and the dream may have went on a little bit further than that, but that was the that was the sort of, uh, you know, the high points of the dream. So I wake up the next morning, and it's now uh, April third. And I take my dog for a walk early in the morning like I used to do back then. And he was a very old dog at the time, and he couldn't walk very far. So we would just walk down the block and then go across the street and then walk back. That's all he could do was basically one square block, right? So it was cold. It was early April, and it was early in the morning, maybe 6.15 in the morning. And we were walking down, we walked down my block 
went across the street and then we're walking back towards my home on the other side of the street and my dog stopped and sat down you know and I, I mean he was 16 years old and I, he was my best friend and, and uh, you know I, I knew my dog pretty well and, I, and he never did stuff like that unless there was a reason you know so anyway and he looked up and so I looked up and sitting there right in this tree you know maybe 10 feet above our heads or whatever was a giant raven a big crow and uh, no other birds around just sitting there and boy I was I was stunned you know because I just had this profound dream and anyway we both sort of looked at the crow and the crow looked at us and I said, good morning, Mr. Crow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we were on our way, went back home. I went to work, you know, I did my thing, you know, I had a job, I always have a job, right? I went to work, Kent, and um, at the time I was working for a company called U.S. Medical, and uh, it was a medical supply company in Denver, Colorado. I checked my email, you know, we got the novelty list would come in either, you know, individual emails, or you could get the... Uh, the whole thing, they call it, uh, what do they call it? You can get the whole list in one email where it's just a big, long email with all the posts from the previous day or whatever, right? Anyway, the novelty list from April 3rd, 2000, and people can check this if they're, you know, if they want to, um, the, one of the first messages of that day was that Terrence had died that morning at like, you know, 2.15 a.m. or whatever on April 3rd. And I couldn't help but, you know, in my own mind at least, you know, connect these things. And the crow has always, ever since then, uh, been, you know, a special bird uh, to me for whatever reason. And um, I don't know. That's my crow story, basically. And, you know, uh, as a side note, at the exact same time, there was a remarkable solar event. And you and I have talked about that before, right at 2.15 a.m. on April 3rd, 2000. And there was another one just this last April 3rd, six years later. Similar story, although it takes place in the meat world rather than the dream world. I walked outside my little apartment complex, and at one time, it's not there anymore, the oldest tree in Hobbitsville here was right outside my door, and I was sauntering around trying to figure out what to do next with a typical retired guy, and I heard, Hello! Well, everyone else was at work except me. And, uh, I looked around. I heard, hello. Well, it came from that tree. And sitting in that tree was a raven. And he was an old raven. <laughs> <laughs> Already gray-tipped around the edges. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Here I am all by myself with a raven saying hello. Now, backing up a little bit, then the Pacific Northwest elders up here say, you don't mess with a raven because the raven is the messenger. And uh, amongst all the ravens, there is one raven that is that is the great spirit. You know? mm. So not knowing which raven is the great spirit, you don't harm a raven ever. Right. Well, <laughs> this old raven said hello, and I was the only one there to hear it until... Two days later, the lady that lives in the apartment next door, I was out there, and there he was again. Mm -hmm. Hello. <laughs> so she heard it. And, and a week later, hello again, and this time my wife heard it. What did the lady say to you? Did she say, 
Did that bird just say what I think it said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she's an old-timer, too, and uh, she just sort of looked at it acceptingly. But Wendy doesn't buy into any of this crap. Did Wendy? I know, she won't uh, admit it, but she heard it. She heard it? Yeah. Oh, she, man. Wendy has her own weird crap. <laughs> yeah, she was in Bald Beck <laughs> and got zapped there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my God. Bald Beck. All right, so... Um, so, uh, the intercessor, the... The messenger, you know, like the elders we met from the Rocky, the Rocky Mountains in the Southwest. Oh, sure. They speak of the eagle. Up here, they speak of the raven. Hmm. The, the go between. Right, right, between the. And the spheres. You talk about the journey of the spheres. You know, well, you know, that's not a rocket ship thing. That's a. That's a. The, the spheres are layers within. Within some kind of space that we have access to, I think. So, uh, you want to travel through the spheres, you can learn to do it. You can learn to do it. And so, by spheres, you mean. But you got to have wings, like the raven. Metaphorical wings, though. And you, and you mean like different dimensions or astral travel, or there are these sorts of ideas, at least. Well, of course, yeah. And ideas are mind drip. I and mean, I mean, you, you have to have. You have to have an experience, see, before you form an idea. <laughs> you have to have an experience before you form a word. What about a dream? Is it like dream? Inf- infinity? You had to have the experience of infinity before you could cook up the word infinity. Okay, but does a dream, for example, count for an experience that can generate a word? Then, for example. Well, I think that's our central experience, myself, because we are. Uh, in signature, our brainwave signature is alpha, which is the dream. If we were to be identified as a, in terms of our wavelengths, we'd be alpha beings, which is the dream state. We spend most of our time in alpha. Collectively, anyway, as an entire human race, I don't know about Mr. Yankee Doodle Dandy, who's here in the West. He might spend a little more time in the, tripping in beta on his speed trip. I don't know. But as a collective species, we're an alpha species, which means we're centered in dream. And uh, from this dream, we launch into the analytical world, which is primarily a higher frequency beta, or we go deeper down into theta and delta. But our, our central perch, like the perch of the raven, is in an alpha semi-dreamlike space. And when you think about it, I don't want to get too theoretical because I'd rather just trip. <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> even during our waking hours, think about it. Think about it. Even during our waking hours, we are internal most of the time. Yeah, most of the time you're off and daydreaming or something. If uh, somebody taps you on your shoulder or says, uh-huh, what, what? or you're at work and somebody says you have a deadline, and you go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm I'm always like startled when somebody walks into my office, you know, and uh, I'm deep into something that has nothing to do with what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, or I don't know. But as long as we're alpha creatures, I think we should uh, feel free, at least, or I feel free, at least, to travel through alpha, which means uh, I toss a rope around my imagination and I just let it go. Man, you know, we haven't talked about the imagination for a long time, and do you see 
the imagination as a realm that is accessed during the dream state any differently than it might be accessed, you know, during the day when you might do it on purpose through a meditation or a daydream or whatever? Well, you know, it's like a rainbow. There are different bands, there are different wavelengths, but there are no walls between the different mm-hmm. bands and the rainbow. They One merges into the next and then into the next and into the next. And uh, like the difference between classically being awake and classically being asleep, well, there are bands of experience that go in between. In between, and during our wake-up 24-hour cycle, so-called wake-up world, we're constantly moving through the deeper bands, you know, thinking, dreaming, scheming, whatever we're doing. And when we're in the sleep world, that is, you're in bed or taking a nap on the couch, there's part of you that's still aware in the wake-up world, too. Sometimes those two bands will do a handshake, and that's an interesting place to be. It's called the lucid dream. Or the hypnagogic state, right? Yeah, where you have access to both to both states. In other mm-hmm. words, you can, you can analyze, which is a beta activity, you can analyze and screen the dream or watch it or participate in it and even adjust it. You know, uh, it makes me think about the world in general. You know, you said before that, you know, for the most part, well, we're we're in alpha X amount of the time because we're in the dream state. But then there's a time when we're asleep, right? Mm-hmm. Which is somehow, I don't know, to me it seems somehow different. But at any rate, the at any given time on the on the face of the earth, probably about half of the people are awake and the other half are asleep, sort of generally speaking. You know what I mean? Right. And so you, and to me it sort of reminds me of the same thing that you're talking about. Uh, half awake and half asleep is sort of, the world sort of exists in this hypnagogic state, which is probably why it seems so dreamy half the time, you know, and so strange. But if if half the world is asleep all the time and half the world is awake all the time, then maybe it's sort of like this global hypnagogia. Because, you know, you're right, in that state, in the hypnagogic state, when you're either, you know, just sort of before sleeping or just before waking, when you're sort of half there and half not, sort of the rules of the dream apply, like you say, but the rules of the waking world sort of apply too. And those are, And there are different rules that apply, apparently, in these different worlds. The most dramatic experience I've had handshaking the two the, the two basic states being awake and being asleep has happened uh, as a result of raising my children. And now I've got another little grandson that's already starting to happen with him. You know, before you go to be, to settle him down for nap time, you, you begin to read, either read to him or tell him stories. I like to tell stories, right. starting with real simple stories. Now. Clinton, but boy, you can see his eyes roll back and staring into space. It really works. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, when my firstborn, Leah, was little, we'd do that. And by the time she got about two years old, I'd be telling a story, 
and suddenly she wanted to participate too, and so she entered the story, and uh, which means we go to a place, another world, and uh, and describe it together, and it wasn't it got beyond description and got into being there. We invented uh, uh, what we call. Bearland. See, the deal was I was an adult, she said. And so my my best way to travel, she said, would to be a bear. <laughs> but, but kids can go there anyway <laughs> as kids. So she went as Leah and I went as a bear. Right. And that was the best way to do it. Well, we went into Bearland every day for five years. Traveling around, meeting the creatures of the forest and the bare land, and meeting a big old tree named Treefer, who would lift us up on his branches. Meeting lion, meeting mouse, meeting pretty lady, who was a sorceress that lived at the edge of the woods, an enchanted lady. Hmm. We met uh, well, lion and mouse. They were brute, sort of uh, roommates. They <laughs> 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 lived in a cottage on the edge of the wood. They were the odd couple. Lion and mouse, and uh, we even met the abominable snowman. And we we had adventures, and we traveled through the dream world by walking, or she'd ride on my back, and I'd be walking, clomping along as a bear to go visit our various friends <laughs> in uh, Bearland. Or or we finally decided that we pieced together a little car. She got interested in cars. Let's take a car. <laughs> <laughs> And so then for for a while there we were riding around in the car. How and we had crow. Crow was an <clears throat> owl. They were they were at the top of this immense uh, sequoia by the name of Treefer. And he'd lower his limbs and we'd both get on it. Right, he'd pick you up. And pick us up and we'd go up, meet crow and owl. And then we'd go off a wind with crow and owl and huh. sort of play through the clouds and nosedive through them. And, or we'd sit on a cloud. And watch the forest below. But you see, the thing is, it was a remarkable and astounding experience. And Leah is an adult now, of course, and and I'm an old guy. And we still, sometimes, (laughs) even now, will go into Bearland. How old was Leah when when you began these stories? I'd say two. Wow. Two, and it went until she started school, and then, unfortunately. Uh, then she got a learning. She got to learning, and mm-hmm. the, the land sort of took took a background thing, but it, it came back later in her life. Mm. But it was amazing. It was amazing, and it, you know, I'll tell you an astounding thing that happened. We met in Bearland people that hadn't been born yet, and then they were born. Like walking along a heath row one day in bear land, there's this little dude that came zipping out of the heath, <laughs> was running around, you know, a little baby, sort of diapered baby, running around, and he'd zip back in the heath, and he'd blink at us from the inside, and then he'd come out, and finally we coaxed him out. Right. It was Brian. Your your son, Brian? Yeah. That's before Brian was born. Right. And his name in Maryland was Roly Poly. <laughs> Did that have any relevance? <laughs> and when Brian life? was born, 
first thing Leah says, hi, Roly-Poly, it's about time. Why did you call him Roly-Poly? Was there uh, a reason? That Leah did. Yeah, was there a re- like, in other words, when he was born in the real world, did he roll around a lot or anything? No, I called him Roly-Poly in, the, uh, in Barely. Yeah, but I wondered if it carried over. No, the only thing that carried over is that little baby laying there on earth was roly-poly. Amazing. All right, well, we're going to roly-poly to a break, all right? Yeah. And we'll come back. And, uh, well, we haven't been very frightening. It's Halloween, and we're not being very scary. Well, Halloween really isn't. It is. It's, we'll talk about the scary part. Yeah, we'll t- yeah, yeah, the scary part, yeah, we will. There all is right. a scary part. There, is, a, there are a couple of them, as a matter of fact. I thought of another one today. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. Let me play. Um, I have this great CD. A couple of them, as a matter of fact. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, this is called Das Compilation, and it's a bunch of local and regional bands. And we're going to hear. We, we heard uh, a band called Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yeltsin, and another one called Foundry Field Recordings just a little while ago. We're going to hear a song here from Bachman called Squirrel View. So, uh, it's Mike. And you listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. We'll be back with uh, with uh, my good buddy Kent Stedman, cyberspaceorbit.com on the web. You can link there directly from uh, my site, if you like. And in the meantime, you can check this out. It's uh, Squirrel Town, Squirrel View, Squirrel Something, Bachman, KOPN Radio Orbit. I'm breathing 
Hello, I'm David Owens, General Manager of KOPN. Thank you for making our recent fund drive such a tremendous success. Your willingness to share your work and wealth to provide your family, friends, and neighbors with community radio helped raise over $64,000. We are very grateful for this tremendous outpouring of support. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Chuck Norris sold his soul to the devil for his rugged good looks and unparalleled martial arts ability. Shortly after the transaction was finalized, Chuck Roundhouse kicked the devil in the face and took his soul back. The devil, who appreciates irony, couldn't stay mad and admitted he should have seen it coming. They now play poker every second Wednesday of the month. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Ah, the devil made him do it. All right, it's Tony Friedman. Thanks, Tony, for the uh, Chuck Norris moments. And it's Mike, you to Radio Orbit, KOP in Columbia, 89.5 FM. We've got Kent Stedman from the cave in Seattle, www.cyberspaceorbit.com on the web. Bardo, thanks for uh, sticking around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, let's talk some scary. Yeah, Halloween. What's the scary, the scary, the scariest thing about Halloween? You know, I was thinking uh, today that it's probably a conspiracy between the sugar refiners and confectioners, along with like the uh, the uh, fabric and garment industry, <laughs> and the American yeah. Dental Association. Probably my friend says, yeah. yeah, yeah. My Halloween candy. We made a mistake. And bought it three days ago, so uh, I got to go get some more. <laughs> oh, you gave away all the candy already? <laughs> no, I ate it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we don't have anyone trick-or-treating out by my place. You come out there, it's just because you're lost. <laughs> you know? You never know. Yeah, you never know. I know people show up at your house that you weren't expecting, as we were talking about <laughs> earlier. All right, well, so... Uh, well, well Hall- Halloween is all Halloween. It's after the harvest, you know. The scary part is a whole lot of people throughout history have not had enough potatoes in their cellar <laughs> because what are you facing? Winter. Winter. Now, I like winter, but it's a strange contrast to where I was born and raised. You've got all this white stuff coming out of the sky and piling up in drifts, and yet it's dark at the same time, you know. And it's cold. And if you don't, if in your All Hallows Eve celebration, you kind of take an accounting. See, do you have. Was the harvest good? Do you have enough supplies to get you through the winter? So this is in the old school time, when b- before the days of refrigerators and Walmarts and this sort of thing. Oh, it's Celtic. Mm-hmm. And uh, to ensure the survival of the coming winter, they would likewise, like some of the elders still do today, they would likewise meet at certain groves or quarries or like we're pretending to do on the edge of a lake called Ballyboy in the county Meath, Ireland. So right. seven fires and we'd also supplicate and perform our ceremonies that we could speak to the people that have already gone on to the other side. Our ancestors. Our ancestors. And uh Ask them and make a deal with them to help carry you through the winter. If the potatoes run out, you need a little extra help from the outside. And it don't have to be potatoes. (laughs) 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 
Well, uh, there are different ways to preserve potatoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right, continue, please. So, facing the unknown, which ultimately deals with our, probably at least in the West here, our biggest fear, and that's facing our impermanency and our brief sojourn on earth which is punctuated on one side by birth and then punctuated on the other side by the reaper right what we call death yeah but we see the two as completely opposite birth and death yeah you know we see the one as this miraculous wonderful thing and then and then and I'm talking in a cultural sense right Right. And then we see the other one, or the other one is sold as, you know, the frightening end of your existence. and Which is really ironic, too, because we call ourselves a, a, a Christian, you know, or a religious society or whatever. And, and, and they tell you, you know, that this world is nothing. And that, the, and that what, what's coming is where, where, where the payoff is. Yet everyone's frightened to death to go there. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, over there on the other side of the world... Uh there are other religions, you know, Buddhism, Islam, so on. They seem to have it, a better handshake with it sometimes than we do. Mm. Maybe that's because we got so much stuff, you know. Yeah, you can't take Being it materialists, you know, we have all this stuff. and then Maybe it, we aren't so much afraid of leaving this world, but we're afraid of leaving all this <laughs> leaving great, all our stuff. <laughs> great stuff. Yeah. Mm. And I think this is harder on... Uh, the elites than it is on us ordinary people. <laughs> well, I think that they have power, they have perks. You know, mm, yeah. it just doesn't seem fair. You know, to end up in the same boneyard as the uh, <laughs> as we as us useless eaters. But well, yet, you know, we're all going to go. None of us will be here in 150 years. I say 150 years in case somebody invents some new serum to keep us around longer. But that that's a staggering thought, you know. None of us, none of us will be here. And so the question is, where will we be? Well, the ancient Celts... Uh, and some of the elders that Mike and I have met, luckily, in our dog-leg journey through life, they 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 seem to not be that out of touch with the people that have gone beyond to the other side. So that opens up a whole new category of discussion here, uh, the ghost story. And how many of you have seen a ghost? How many of you have contacted the other world in terms of somebody that you know or maybe you don't know that has suddenly, like happened to me in college, I woke up, or I was drifting off to sleep. I was in the hypnagogic state, you might say, lucid, but not moving too much because my body was falling to sleep. Right. And I look at the foot of my bed, and I've heard other people with almost identical descriptions. And standing there at the foot of my bed, there it was, a spirit or a ghost looking right at me. 
And this being looked familiar, as though he was ancestral. I thought he was my great-grandfather. Uh-huh. And yet I was frightened at the same time. Why should I be frightened of one of the nicest people I've ever known in life? That was my good old great-grandfather. Uh-huh. But he reached out towards me with both hands, actually. I'm kind of doing that right now. I'm gesturing. Uh-huh. And I reached out even through my sort of a pounding concern, the fear. It's funny how that, when that happens, the hackles really do raise on your neck and mm. you get a chill. I think that's sort of a confirmation that, yes, something's really strange is happening here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's electromagnetic. Right, right, right. And then huh. it seems like we touch fingertips and then it, the whole thing went poof. <laughs> And in my... Have you ever seen a ghost, Mike? Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. I've seen one... Uh, I, I've had a number of ghost experiences, and they were all in the same house, this this old house I was living in, in Denver. And the ghost that I actually saw was a white apparition. It would have been more... I mean, and, and I saw it with a friend, uh, my friend whose name is Steve Hoffman. He's one of my best friends. I grew up with him. And we were you know, old enough to know better. And we were in my living room, and uh, we both saw some... It it looked like a white smoking jacket. (laughs) Silly as that sounds. You know, like a white jacket. Not not like a sheet, but like as if it had, you know, two arms, like a nice tailored white suit coat jacket or something. And it just moved from the dining room into the kitchen, through the kitchen doorway there. And it was gone. And we both looked at each other and said, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I can't say it on the air. And uh, But we both, you know, certainly were like, yeah, you know, we both saw it. And um, that was, I, I don't know if that was the first experience in that house, but I had a number of experiences after that for sure that confirmed to me that something certainly out of the ordinary was happening there. I even gave it a name eventually. I called her Leslie. I, was, I, had, a, I had an impression that it was a f- feminine spirit of some kind. And I, I for whatever reason, I, t- I titled her Leslie. I had weird things happen. For example, I was living alone at the time, you know. And I had a nice little house in this old section of Denver. And things were... It was almost like like the silly poltergeist type of, type of ghost, but but not at all threatening. Not at all threatening, right? Um, just silly. Like, um, uh, like, a, like a completely full bottle of shampoo, right, would be balanced on its top in the corner of the shower as opposed to be sitting on its bottom, you know, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Right. In other words, you know how you might you might how you might tip a bottle upside down if you were trying to get all the shampoo out of the bottom of a bottle. Right. Well, it would be like set up like that, but it was a full bottle. You know what I mean? And I would never, I didn't put it like that in the corner. You know what I mean? And there was this weird thing with upside down stuff in the in the in the refrigerator. I would have certain things just be upside down that I would you know not not put in there upside down. You know. And uh, I don't know. I just had a lot of very strange, little, funny experiences that where I just knew that something strange was happening. And I don't think anyone was, you know, in my home. It wasn't like that was being invaded or anything like that. I, I had a very 
you know, obscure existence at the time. So, anyway, I don't know. Just you never know. Strange things all around us. Well, I'm at the age now where a lot of people are really close to me. You know, well, for quite some twenty years now, I've been passing on to the other side, and in two or three cases, they've come back to tell me what it was like. Uh, I was very close to my great aunt. See, my great grandfather and my great his niece, my great aunt, raised my dad because his parents checked out during the flu epidemic. Back in when was it? Nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> well, I was born almost sixty-five years ago in my great aunt's bed on her birthday, and I was wow. three months premature. Whoa! Uh, and the reason being, it was a blizzard outside on January seventeenth. It was when I was born. It was a blizzard outside, and I came. I, was, I I came for a really sudden and quick appearance, and I was only four pounds, so it wasn't too hard to pop into this world. <laughs> and they didn't have time to pack up my mother and try to, in a car, plow through drifting snow to get me to the local health facility, hospital. So there I was. I was born. Well, anyway, I became very close with my great aunt. In fact, she protected me because I was always a strange little critter. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's birds of a feather, you know? Yeah, well, I, you know, I was born and raised in a very fundamentalist type of community. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet, I always had a tendency to be staring off into space at other things. And that not only actually, but metaphorically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was a questioner and I didn't fit too well in this fundamentalist community. Yeah, yeah, I know. What well, you my great aunt, she was like the old wizardess of the woods, you know. She queen of the fairy hills. Yeah, she was. <laughs> she was. She really was. She like she was a gardener. She had this incredible garden. <sighs> and she had the touch with animals. He had a lot of uh, orphaned animals, hmm. and one was a magpie. Speaking of talking, wow, yeah, yeah. Speaking of, magic, speaking of magical birds, yeah, yeah. And te- you know, he uh, teach that magpie to talk. You know, it's amazing. So did my great grandfather. <laughs> he injected his own words there, which pissed her off once in a while. Yeah, the magpie. I, I have to interject real quick. You know, when I lived in Denver, there were magpies everywhere. And they're considered, again, in the cultural context, as a dirty, nasty bird, and everybody hates them, and they're mean, and they're, you know, b- bad-spirited. And I, again, of course, me, I'm like, man, those magpies are cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? they're smart. I'm like, they are so smart, and they're like, again, they'll talk to you. Those birds will talk to you. So, anyway. Kidding my, my great aunt, she... She lived and lived. I, I mean, when I was born, she was old. She was my age when I was born. She was in her 60s. Uh-huh. And she lived and lived and lived and lived to my 40s. So she called me over when she was 99 years old to her apartment and fixed me lunch. 99-year-old woman. <laughs> Tucked me in the bed like I was a little kid. I was in my 40s. I was having kind of a rough go at that time. Don't ever turn 40. 
No, I'm already 50 42. Okay, too late. Skip the 40. <laughs> <laughs> too late. <laughs> yeah. It's having a rough time, and we sat down and really talked soulfully like we hadn't, because we were separated by a thousand miles. I was living in central California, and she never left Utah, really. And uh, I found out a lot of things about her and about myself. And she told me stories about the second sight, which was the old Danish, English interpretation of the Danish uh, sort of extrasensory world. They called it the second sight. Yeah, the intuition and then just that knowing. <clears throat> well, you know, we sort of think, well, maybe a few people have the second sight, but maybe not. It's unproven. Uh, from her tradition, back where she came from, Denmark, her, her whole village had the second side. Right. Everybody had the second side. I think probably everybody does, at least to a certain extent. It's just we, again, it, from our particular cultural activities, you know, we squash that in children. It was a reality threat. Right, and it certainly still is. But but then... For it, them. It's a Denmark. particular type of reality check. Yeah, well, anyway... She told me I had it too, and that's why she was so protective of me my whole life. And she said someone else, I won't name who this person was, but had it, had the same thing. And uh, I questioned that person later and found out that he was very uncomfortable with it all his life. So he recognized that something was going on, but... He'd see things ahead of time, and he didn't like it. And who knows, there were... This was there are aspects of his second sight that he refuses to this day. He's still alive. This is your brother? No, I, I don't want to say. Oh, okay. okay. Over the years. All right, all right. But uh, to this day, he won't talk about it. It's not my brother. Uh -huh. Too much. Your brother will talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, she said, well, Aunt Mary called her mom said, well, I'm getting ready to check out of this world. She said that every day since she was age 65. <laughs> Excuse me, but she says, I'm ready for my eternal rest. And I said, Mom, I said, you're not going to go to sleep. You're going to wake up. Yeah, there's work for you to do. Anyway, we made one of those infamous deals, you know, because I lived a thousand miles away. I said, well, if you're going to check out, you better check out with me. <laughs> on your way out. Well, I was in bed uh, a year later, a thousand miles away, and I was awakened by a swarm of lights, like fireflies. Wow. They were just buzzing around. Think of the, uh, what do you call that thing in Star Trek, the teleporter, transporter. Right. That's what it looked like. It was just uh, all these lights buzzing around everywhere. And they were so tangible, you know, I was looking at them. And I was very calm. It didn't startle me too much. I just simply watched them, you know. And uh, and then they kind of soothed me back into a sleep state. And, well, the next morning the phone rang. <laughs> and Aunt Mary had made her passage. Well, that was her. Wow. <laughs> That was her. So that's not exactly a scary white ghost, but that was her. I just, I have no doubt about it. In yeah. fact, she appeared to me uh, in dreams later to say, yeah, that was me. 
Do you still dream? That's amazing, by the way. But uh, do you still dream pretty vividly, Kent, and, and recall them? Not like when I was younger. Not like when I, I think I need to probably go back to writing them down, so I have a tether back to the other world. But I do have startling banner dreams that are unforgettable. Huh. But I don't remember them like. I mean, my childhood memories were primarily memories of the dreams I had. When I try to recall my early childhood, I recall the dreams, not the actual wake-up state. Mm -hmm. They were so important to me, such a primary existence. But you get older, I don't know what happens, you get dumber or something. (laughs) And uh, alas, I don't have access to my dream world like I used to. I, I mean, I dream like crazy. And I know I dream like crazy. I take naps a lot. It's good practice. (laughs) Good practice to take naps. (laughs) Uh, And I do dream, but they seem to be, maybe it's that they're a little bit different type of dreaming in this old age phase. You know, they're more like feelings and... uh, Sort of misty things, and, and, and much less tied to the world. So they're harder; they aren't a reflection of the ordinary wake-up world as much as they used to be. I mean, the the forms are not like as tangible. Something, hmm. but things are changing for me in my old age. I don't know. I think your brain just sort of gets weary. Could be one thing. Or you don't have the childlike vision. Now they may come back with my grandson. He may, he may uh, help me get that state back because he's already getting into the nap time stories, and uh, already at age thirteen months. Amazing. Huh? He wants to be told the nap time story. Now I use simple images like a bird or a dog or a tree. That type of thing, and he and he drifts off his eyes roll back. <laughs> but pretty soon, maybe he'll be like Leah and be joining with me. And maybe once that happens, my dreams will, my nighttime dreams may become more apparent. Huh. Well, it's interesting, you know, because I have, you know, Alex is three, and uh, and now we have a baby boy who's um, another. Well, who's just five five weeks old now, but I tell stories to Alex, uh, you know, when he goes to bed. Well, well, we we do a little bit of both. He loves to read, you know, his books or whatever, um, but usually when we lay down to go to sleep, you know, I may lay down next to him and tell him a story, and usually he tells me what the story's going to be, right? Yeah. And he says, okay, tell me the story about uh, Daddy and Mommy and me and Granny Sally and Papa Joe and my birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? And and so I'll tell the story of that. I make it up as I go. Right? Yeah. Right. Best way to do it. And then he may ask the same... He ask, he may ask me the, the next night for the same story. You know? And I'll, I'll do my best to sort of duplicate the story. You know what I mean? I mean, I basically cover the same points or whatever. But I don't... I, don't, uh, I mean, obviously, I don't recite it word for word or anything, you know what I mean? But, I mean, 
he'll totally tell me if I if I miss something big. Trust me, you know what I mean. If I try to leave something out, uh, you know, if I leave the birthday cake part out, I get I get told, you know, don't leave the birthday. What about the birthday cake? You know, it's amazing the the, the awareness and how they're just he's right there. How old is he now? He's three. He just turned three. Mm, it'll mutate from starting right now. But I mean, he's outrageous. I mean, he can. I mean, his own his own imagination is already. Uh, you know, I mean, he just he can he just makes his own worlds already. I wrote. I finally sat down and wrote the stories of Bearland. If you go to my website at cyberspaceorbit.com. Uh, and then put in my search engine, put in two words, chasing shadow. I don't have it pegged, link pegged on the front page of me and page right now. got some other weird stuff. Yeah, somebody, on the, somebody in the chat room, go over there to Kent's site at cyberspaceorbit.com and chase down the link for chasing, the chasing shadow. shadow. It's a wonderful... Put it in my search engine. Right, and, it's a, and tell them what, what chasing shadow is, Kent. Well, there was a time where my daughter and I, unfortunately, due to separation, got separated. <laughs> And I thought, well, it was agonizing for me and for her, actually. She's very much back in my life now. Good news. But uh, so I thought, well, what can I do? You know, one of our great adventures was these nap time stories. You know, it's like they were real. I mean, if they're real, this story, Chasing Shadow, depending how far you're curtains are drawn that's a metaphor <laughs> they're real so look at Chasing Shadow because I put it down and it's it's a story that starts in Bearland in the Enchanted Lands and then comes to Earth so I kind of reverse that that uh, thing and so you're going back and forth between Earth the adventures and it's about an actual being that we met once in Bearland, we were strolling along in the Enchanted Forest, and there was this fern right in the middle of the road. I hadn't been there the next day, the day before. And this fern was weeping. And Lee and I, in Bearland, during our nap time stories, asked Fern, how come you're weeping? All right. And, and don't, don't tell him, don't tell him. Huh? Don't tell him. Well, you'll find out why Fern was leaping, and it sets up quite an adventure between worlds. Yes. Yeah, it does. And uh, we're at the top of the hour, so we'll take a break, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about Chasing Shadow, okay? And um, we'll also talk a little bit more about... Uh, I'll put the link while well, during the break. I'll put the link up. Yeah, someone uh, someone will grab it, I think, and post it up on the on the chat. But in the meantime, m when we take a break here, I can go on the web and find it too. So, I'll put it up on my web. All right, uh, everybody, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, eighty nine point five FM. My guest is the wonderful Wizard of Cyberspace Orbit, Kent Stedman. www.cyberspaceorbit.com. You can check him out on the web anytime. You can also link there directly from my site at uh, Mike Hagan, H A G A N dot com. And also, check out KOPN and uh, give us a shout and let us know what you think about the station in general if you get a chance at www.kopn.org. And uh, certainly anyone who supports the station with regard to this 
radio show is greatly appreciated. We just had a big fun drive, and we did pretty well. I, um, well, I won't, uh, I won't talk about my own particular goals and stuff for this program, but at any rate, thanks to everyone who, who, who did uh, donate and support the show. And you can do that at, at, at any time. If you go to KOPN, it's easy to, uh, to uh, show your support for the station. And if you don't uh, have the means to do it with your pocketbook, uh, with your checkbook or your pocketbook, you can just send a couple nice words, you know, through email or through the contact page, something like that. So, anyway, all right, it's Mike, and um, we will be back with Kent in just a few minutes. And in the meantime, we'll hear another song or two, a couple short ones, I think, here from Das Compilation. This first one, oh, what are we going to play here? I think you want to hear a song from um, Mark Speckman. This is called College Funk. Back in just a minute, it's Mike, give us to Radio Orbit. <laughs>
this is Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Chuck Norris once bet NASA he could survive re-entry without a spacesuit. On July 19, 1999, a naked Chuck Norris re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, streaking over 14 states and reaching a temperature of 3,000 degrees. An embarrassed NASA publicly claimed it was a meteor and still to this day owes him a beer. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. All right, hi, this is Mike, <clears throat> and this is your official Radio Orbit moment. And thanks to Tony for all the wonderful stuff and uh, obscure but certainly legitimate information on the wonderful and amazing Chuck Norris. All right, uh, it's Mike, and it is Radio Orbit. We're about uh, nine minutes after the hour of 1 a.m. in the morning on the 31st now of October 2006, Halloween and I've got my good friend Kent Stedman with me. And Kent, before the break there, we are just talking about... Oh, and let me mention the music <clears throat> one more time real quick. We heard a couple there from this uh, this wonderful locally produced CD called Dust Compilation. We heard from Mark Speckman, College Funk was what we started off with. And then I heard another song, a short one from the Monte Carlos called uh, Got It All. Anyway, Kent, um, before the break there, we were talking about Chasing Shadow. And it's this wonderful story that you wrote. It was inspired by this adventure that you just went on on a daily basis with you and your daughter. And uh, you come across a fern who's crying. Why is she crying? Well, uh, go to cyberspaceorbit.com. I posted the link up there, Chasing Shadow, a real tale, depending on how far the drapes are drawn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get I right hope now. my old server still works, because some of it's stored on an old... There it is. Boy, you're quick. And uh, anyway, there it is. the fern, uh, the fern had become detached from his little shadow, and all the little beings that lived under fern, or like the ants, the ant queen, and so on, were packing up their luggage. They had to get out of there because it's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> and the fern felt terrible because he felt he was really a lousy fern for. Allowing his shadow to become detached, you know. Now, Chasing Shadow, admittedly, reminds one of elements from Through the Looking Glass, Peter Pan, even, and Gulliver's Travels, even. It's a classic tale, and it's for grown-ups, not children, too. Anyway, the, the shadow is attached and has gotten away, and it causes a real catastrophe, because where the shadow is gone is into another world. And in, in leaving, it's punched a hole through the enchanted lands and all the, the wee folk that live there. Beings that Lee and I always talked about were all panicked out because they were afraid that the enchanted lands were going to drain away. Hmm. And that's metaphorical, I think, for the times that we live in, in a way, you know. Is the enchanted land, which might be an archetypal place. You know, when when you study the tale and stories from very back the early Celts' ability to write stuff down, at least in the Sumerian, you know, they have what did they talk about? Well, in Sumer they discuss dragons, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the early Anglo-Saxon and Celtic literature, it was about all kinds of beings that populated the earth that we don't consciously recognize anymore, including Grendel and Beowulf and, mm-hmm. and the fairy 
queen and things like that. And uh, even today, reading the children's, great children's literature, it talks about a plane that in a, in a sense feels the same. You know, whether you're talking about Alice in Wonderland or the Tolkien stories, mm -hmm. the place kind of feels the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, the places that you attach to feel the same. And it's made me wonder if it, there isn't an archetypal realm that we go to after this world, uh, or in fact, that we come from. You know, I was listening actually earlier today. Um, a couple things here. There's a young man whose name is Henrik Palmgren. I've mentioned him on my program before. <clears throat> he runs a you know, a website called red-ice.net. But he's also doing a radio program now. He does one hour every couple of days or something like that. But he's uh, he may do more than that, but that's what's available on the web. At any rate, he has interviewed uh, uh, some interesting people, and I think he's doing a good job. And he talked to my friend Jay Widener, who's right there uh, in Seattle, not far from you, as a matter of fact, you know. And I listened to part of that show that he did with Jay that was from earlier this month in October. And there was, uh, they, they were talking about um, film and about how these archetypal ideas are transmitted through film sometimes, right? Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey is one that Jay has written extensively about, but the Lord of the Rings series is another one, right? Um, I don't know, to me, uh, Wizard of Oz is one. You may find it in, I don't know, where, wherever else. But, but one of the things that Jay made clear was that sometimes the archetype comes through whether the director or the producer is aware of it or not, even. It's something that just uh, is, I don't know, you know, part of the human spirit or whatever, and it just finds its way. All of you out there, I need a research. I've got, I've got a assignment for you <laughs> because I've failed to find it. Once, when I was teaching, I was an art teacher in college for a while, a quarter of a century, actually. It was quite a while. And a book came across my desk called The Book. How do you, you spent some time in Germany. How do you pronounce B-R-M-E-N, the city in Germany? Is that Bremen? Uh, it, it's Bremen, B-R-E-M-E-N, Bremen. 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 That's yeah. correctly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what's it called? The Book of Bremen? Yeah. Got it. Sounds I've sort been of unable creepy. to find it, and I've talked to some German people to help me find it. But Sounds sort of creepy. It was actually really fascinating because it was about a botanist from Phoenicia and his account. It was found in the cornerstone of a, of, of, of a church, one of the, the old mm -hmm. main cathedrals in Bremen. By a bot it was written by a botanist? It was written by a Phoenician botanist. How bizarre. It, it, it sounds like the Voynich Manuscript or something like that. It's all illustrated with all that outrageous uh, imagery with uh, plants and flowers and all this sort of thing. Well, here's what this was about. He was looking for plants, medicinal plants and classifying plants, you know, looking for herbs and stuff uh -huh. like that, traveling, and he traveled into Bremen. And there in Bremen, he met a conclave of what he titled the firstborn, quote, unquote, the firstborn. The firstborn. Now, the way that works out is the firstborn were here before humans were here. 
and they were composed of elements of a more refined state. Uh, like back then they called them earth, air, and fire, and water. That's simple elements. I mean, they were tact- tactile you could, because he talked to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they were not yet participants in the plane of protoplasm, which was the realm of man. Get it? <laughs> in other words, they then they experimented, experimented with different elements, with different complexity of elements, and then they discovered protoplasm. Mm. They took a, they shrouded themselves in protoplasm, and then that became man. That becomes flesh and blood. But before or that, the follower, they called it mm. follower. But he met the firstborn at the edge of Bremen. It was a conclave of various assorted shaped elves, trolls, <laughs> leprechauns, and. <laughs> And uh, fair folk, you know. And they were getting ready to leave. Now, they were getting ready to leave by sea. But that could be metaphorical. Yeah, yeah, another archetype there. That could be metaphorical. The sea, what sea? Cosmic sea. Mm -hmm. You don't know. know. But they were getting ready to leave. But the the governor or the mayor of, of... Fair folk, he was called an Ofer, O P H I R. The village Ofer. And he had long discussions with the Ofer, which described their place in relationship with man, etc., which I've tried to roughly describe. But anyway, this is in a manuscript called the Manuscript of Bremen. So that's the assignment. The Book of Bremen. It came across my desk and then. You gave it to someone. Or well, someone. someone gave it to me. And then you gave it to someone else. and you don't. Yeah, it, it ended up with somebody else's hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't quite remember. Right. <laughs> right well, we if you could find that. Man, I'd love to find that because that might be a remarkable account, a historical account. Huh. Well, okay, um, that gives me a, a chance to segue a little bit because this Phoenician botanist... Um, of course, makes me think about plants and flowers and stuff. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier the image of fireflies and sparkling lights and this sort of thing. We've seen that all over the place, Kent, including on the NASA tether. Right. Um, now, in the Native American tradition, you know, that you and I both carry, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the shamans tell us that they talk with spirits and that they commune with the spirits and sometimes the spirits are human spirits and the spirits are the plants and the spirits of this and that but the spirits are oftentimes equated to ancestors that's right now I mean the simple definition of this is dead people <laughs> you know, we we yeah, you know, we don't we don't, like we're getting yeah, we don't really think of it like that. But I mean, this is what we're talking. About. We're talking about talking with dead people. And um, between Ken and I, there's enough experience to tell you that at least between the two of us, this is really happening. Yeah, in fact, they make a sound when they appear. Oh my like, gosh! I mean, in 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 Sweat Lodge. There are a number of different ways which they present themselves. Sometimes the rattling gourd, you know, 
sometimes the the pin lights, which is sort of what reminded me of this whole thing when you mentioned the the fireflies, because sometimes they appear as as lights in 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 the dark. Uh, at any rate, can, please maybe expand a little bit on this. Well, I think we're I think we're a colony of beings, you know. These pin lights are a colony of beings that have organized under this substance called protoplasm. And when we disassociate, it becomes a call. It becomes a, a whir of pin lights. And I was told after I had that experience with my great aunt, I was told by a very cognizant person, friend of mine. They said, well, if you'd have been a little more aware, the pin lights would have come together and maybe formed the recognizable form of your grandmother. Mm. I call her my grandmother. She's my great Yes. And uh, I thought about that and felt that that was probably true. But, yes, they do appear, and they're appearing on digital photography a lot, and people say, well, there's specks of dust, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, People have sent me a lot of samples of orbs. And I've, on my main page, I've got some orbs that were seen after a whole bunch of people disassociated in Bali a few seasons ago. <laughs> and, and, yeah. See, the elementals, apparently, the firstborn, uh, they were... The legends say, at least the Celtic legends say, they were able to come and go, almost like through a teleporter, like the Star Trek series, right. through a stargate, you know, certain power points. They're able to come and go, form or disassociate. Now, that just may have been, you know, an interface with a an arcane technology, mysterious art technology. I mean, they may have been literally teleporting back and forth. And uh, which brings up, you know, legends from other parts of the world, such as the Celtic legends and Sumerian legends, the legends of the jinn and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been told, for instance, by an Iraqi Kurd, that they never really left. They're still here in some parts of the world. They still interface, but uh, we've got some damn dance in the West that we don't pay attention to. It. You know, it reminds that me. Much. Maybe we <clears throat> will more now. Right. Remember that wonderful piece that was written by, uh, well, his pseudonym was uh, Buck Young, and it was we, you and me called it the We Folk. Remember? Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful piece of uh, of writing that's. Uh, that's up on the web, and I've got it up on my website. If I don't have it up on the forum, I need to put it back up there. And by the way, Kent, I just posted again uh, the link to Chasing Shadow up there on on the chat page. Your link actually is um, going to a server that doesn't like you anymore. But I found the yeah, right. yeah, but I found the prologue, and I just went right to the pro- prologue. And from the prologue, it's no problem. You can just go right to chapter one, chapter two, chapter whatever. But for whatever reason, that one link that you have up on your front page, you might want to take a look at that. Um, at any rate, we've got a good link up there. And then also, uh, 
Uh, Larry, my webmaster, just showed up, and I want to say hi to him. He's over there in the chat room, and I want to say hi to everybody else uh, who's over there. We've got all kinds of people that are listening and uh, asking questions and sort of making comments, and there's, all, there's a whole dream uh, section that they had in the chat room the whole time you and I were doing uh, ours. So wonderful interaction, Kent. You know, the, the, the web is amazing what, what it's allowing us to do now, you know? I'm sitting here clicking around trying to find out what happened with my <laughs> All right, I tell you what, you you figure that out. We we're, we're 25 after the hour. It's a good, that's a, we're close enough to take a break, okay? Okay. So let's do that. We'll take a break. I want to play a song actually for uh, a friend of mine in California. Her name is Mitsuyo, and um, this is a new uh, band of mine. A friend that uh, goes by the name of Kim Chi. Uh, this is a great song that's called The Octopus Song. All right, Kim Chi on Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. We got Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com. Check him out on the web as well. You can always link right over to his site from mine at mikehagan.com. And in the meantime, some good music from Kim Chi. Back in just a few, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. <laughs> Mo, 
Kimchi, 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 in front of the Lotte Hotel. Kimchi, 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 in front of the Lotte Hotel. Kimchi, kimchi, kimchi. This is Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Chuck Norris doesn't have normal white blood cells like you and I. His have a small black ring around them. This signifies that they are black belts in every form of martial arts, and they roundhouse kick the crap out of viruses. That's why Chuck Norris never gets ill. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. All right, everybody. Hi, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Just about 1:30 now. In the AM on the 31st of October 2006, Happy Halloween, and uh, let's get back to Kent Stedman here from CyberspaceOrbit.com. Hi, Kent. Hey, Bardo. Hey, he must have fell asleep on me or something. Hey, Bardo. All right. Well, I'm just going to talk here, and he'll show up here in a second. Um, in the meantime, let's see I'm here. here. <laughs> hey, Bardo. I knew you'd be back in a second. Figured. I had to take an old man break. Aha, uh-huh. all right, well, uh, the old man is back in town, and let's see, where were we? Oh, I fixed my link to Jason Shadow, so reload the page and you'll get there. All right, good. That's important to me, because, you know, when I came on the Internet, see, I wrote this, I wrote this thing in, because I didn't want it to go away, I was afraid it'd go away. And it's the very first thing I put up on the internet. Things have deteriorated seriously since then. Chasing Shadow was the first. That was basically your reason for getting on the web. Well, yeah, I, w- I wanted to. Oh, it's a creative ego, I guess. I'd, I tried it on a few publishers and so on. They thought I was stark raving mad. And uh, that was before the Harry Potter thing came out and so on. It's similar in a way. Right. And. Uh, so I thought I'm not going to just bury this, you know. That's no fun. And so I put it. I went ahead and put it on the internet. And that's the first thing I did. And well, it's a bright story. Uh, I think it was written in the late '80s, and I think, frankly, it's a mistake to give yourself too much credit and it's also a mistake not to give yourself any credit at all. <laughs> right. But one of the credits I'll give myself is that I think it foresaw a lot of the events that are happening right now. Well, you've you've written a number of pieces, uh, in, including, well, Chasing Shadow, but you've written another piece that I think most people aren't familiar with that uh, had to do with Iraq and Saddam and all this stuff long before all this stuff was going down. You yeah. know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you've you've seen a copy of. This. I have. I, I have. You're a copy the only of other person. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> and and in fact, we're going to publish it one day as soon as I get the means to do it. We're going to publish that book. Yeah, I had the money once and I blew it. No, you know, I never had it, but I haven't blown it. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> I should have published. Hey, all right. Well, look. Um, Scroll down my page. We want to talk scary, you know, and in a way, I think it relates to to uh, forces. 
and what did you call it when you're working on spheres? Yeah, journey of the beyond ourselves. The spheres, some, of, right. some of them are scary because you wonder in regards to politics nowadays if physical world is in trouble. And well, I wondered that as a very young child, and to talk about scary stories. Oh my gosh! When you're living in Utah, surrounded by military bases and and test sites to the south, you know, and you go out, walk outside, there are a bunch of dead birds laying around all over the ground, and it's really weird-looking purple cloud. Yeah, and by test site, we mean nuclear test site. Yucca Flats. Yucca Flats, baby. Where they, you know, the big mistake that nuclear powers consistently make, and I see North Korea is making the same mistake now as did China, as did every, the French were a little sneaky. They tested their things down in the, in the Pacific Ocean, and then the New Zealanders <laughs> got all mad. <laughs> yeah. Right? But the first thing we do when we unleash these forces of Vishnu or whoever they are is that we bomb ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, First thing we did when we cooked up the nuclear atmospheric explosion is we set it off like 700 times or more right in our own backyard, and those clouds went all the way to Maine, you know. Yeah, I know people think that 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 that, that we somehow weren't affected by the hundreds and hundreds of of tests that were done. Above ground and and many 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 atmospheric tests right in this freaking country right in the west of this country and it's just amazing to me Ken. Well, you know, I'm sad to say, but I think it's an accurate report that on the edge of Baghdad we saw oh, man, a nuclear I'm... explosion in forward base Falcon, which yeah. was allegedly attacked by. Rebel forces mortar fire and set off a huge fire there, and you'd see these series of explosions, and then suddenly, kaboom! You know, an intensely bright light that maxes out the the cams with a, a following mushroom cloud. Something happened there that gives me the creeps, you know. Yeah, I've seen it. I just I just posted the link for the for the Windows Media video file of those uh, those frames and yeah, and if you <coughs> you'll see a video possible tactical nuke explodes in Iraq. This is Halloween stuff, man. And you put you click the very first red square and then allow the movie to open and then track it to O three five five O three o'clock. Fifty-five. How's that minutes? <laughs> oh, three, five, five. Right. You know, suddenly, and I have a, I have an animated clip of it that's taken from the movie. Well, there was I, a long, enduring white flash of light that, as far as I can determine, and I've gotten assorted feedback from this, but some of the real experts are saying, "Yeah, that's a." Signature of a micro or some will say there's no such thing as a micro. Right. So you get in this huge debate, you know, and the debate is a, sometimes in the a litmus test that something really bad happened over there. Well, that's the thing. I mean, th- th- there's 
what we're talking about is a, uh, an, I'm not sure if it was an ammo facility or whatever. But it was it was an ammo dump, true. And there were a right. lot of massive well, explosions. But man, it's toward the chaos. end of the sequence on this movie, you see a long, enduring white Oh yeah, yeah, light, and that's the white light that they used to. When I was a kid going to grade school, they'd show you films of that kind of stuff. Right. You know, and they'd say if, you, if suddenly the room, or if you're outside and suddenly everything is flooded by this long, enduring white light, here's what you got to do. <laughs> and then we'd have a drill. Right. <laughs> Kiss your ass goodbye. Right. And we'd all, and we'd all climb under our desk. Right. As though that, as a, as though that was going to help. Well, I've seen the thing myself, and and certainly something strange happened at this forward camp Falcon, and there was acknowledgement that something very strange happened there. And in fact, there's a lot of talk about the fact that there's not much talk about what happened there, because Kent, regardless of the, I mean, even at best, I mean, if we say that this is some sort of a conventional explosion, I don't want any be, I don't want to be anywhere near this kind of conventional explosion. And if that, whatever kind of explosion it was, conventional, or if it was a small nuclear device or something, it had to destroy a whole bunch of stuff and a whole bunch of people because that video, I mean, you, you, you may be able to, to debate, you know, what type of explosion it was. I don't know, but it's a big one. Uh, yeah, well, I heard a comment. Ah, oh, that wasn't a nuke. That was a biological weapon. Oh, well, oh, there you go. That's <laughs> nice. Right. Well, yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, it's something, and it is. It, it, it was. It's outrageous. You guys should go look at that uh, that video clip at Kent's site, and I just put it, I just put the clip up on the uh, in the chat room too. So, anyway, hey, let me ask uh, something that came here in email, Kent. Uh, a gentleman says people are all freaked out about death. You've been talking about shamans, etc., talking to spirits, which in a sense which is essentially talking to dead people. How can we talk to dead people? Maybe it would make us feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there was an age in this country called the Age of Enlightenment, which seemed to be terminated by World War One <laughs> and uh, the concerns that came about from global war. But uh, a lot of people were trying, trying to talk to dead people. And they were holding various uh, ceremonies to do so. It was big in this country at one time. And uh, valid, I don't know. Maybe not. But frankly, I've never intentionally set out A, B, C, step A, B, C to talk to dead people. I've never performed a ceremony for that purpose. I've been in ceremonies where that happened. Mm -hmm. Like the Native American ceremony. But uh, I've never set out to that happen, to make that happen. I don't know why. Maybe there's some taboo still in my Western mind that forbids it. I don't know. But it has happened. Yeah, me too. And I think it's sort of. (laughs) It happens at its own (laughs) time. I've never asked it to happen, but I've had it happen. But it's been sort of the invitation is there, sort of. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but 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 not that intention. In other it's words, happened to me. I won't name someone very very close to me 
very close, as close as you can get. And this was 20 years ago. When someone passed on to the other side, it happened. And this being came back to me. And it's always scary, no matter how much you love them or how much you long for them to come back and say howdy, you know. It's still scary. The hackles still go up on the back of your neck. I don't know why. I've, that I've wondered about. <laughs> but this person, I, I asked this person, well, <laughs> what's it like? Well, I got my mind blown because my cosmology at the time was just different than what I was told. And what I was told is this person said, well, this person said, I just went for a picnic huh. with some of our relatives. It was really nice. It was in a, the edge of the mountains by a little stream. Well, that stopped me in my tracks psychologically. Because you see, at that point, in my philosophy, I was thinking more along cosmic, abstract lines concerning the life after death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sort of quantum levels and planes of planes of something beyond form you know and then I get this message well I just went for a picnic <laughs> and but I'm still staggered by that uh-huh. I'm still staggered by that is it that much different on the other Really? Hmm. Hard to say. It's sir. I mean, is there, is there a world of forms and, and people and so on? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what they told me. Well, the, there are certainly personalities there. I can tell you that much. I mean, I don't know what form they take, really. But I know that they're still together and can still chat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe there are different planes. I don't know. And uh, like the old theosophical bunch, I went to the Theosophical Society for a while. Who was that? Blatavsky? Helen Blatavsky. Blavatsky. Yeah. Uh, very interesting because they represented sort of the Enlightenment movement, you know, that was sort of squelched by world. Oh, she got a bad rap, man. Well, at any rate, they describe it in a, in a different territories, and one is called the astral territory, and one is called the causal territory. Now, the astral territory is not that dissimilar from our world, except there are fewer laws, you know, and it's not a protoplasmic world. Mm-hmm. But there are beings, and there are bodies, in the sense of a body, and places to go or fly to, <laughs> to dart in and out to. And then there, they discussed the causal plane, which is the more abstract place, you know, a place of light, or at least a, a place where the dynamics are such, where by uh, the human brain has a really hard time finding symbols to describe it. Right, right, language doesn't function. You know, in uh, this Iraqi Kurd neighbor of mine told me, well, the ancient 
gods are still here. They just live in bases, you might say, and they travel back and forth to this world. They're not gone, you know, like the uh, firstborn are still here. They're not gone. Are they involved in the news of the day, or are they... Well, you know, you study a little bit about the Sufi or the Islamic, which came later, philosophy. Oh, the Sufi's amazing. And and they do talk about a whole race of beings that they call the jinn. Now, sometimes the jinn are described as high and low entities, you know. They're a good jinn and they're a bad jinn. Sort of like angels, almost. In Islamic law, they so respect the presence of the jinn that they have their their courts are set up to accommodate them. And there are very specific laws about the the territory of the jinn and the property ownership that's delegated to the jinn and how you don't mess with the, the property that's controlled by mm-hmm. populated by the jinn. Now, when I say jinn, some of you may not recognize the term, but you might recognize the term genie. Same deal, same deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's even, get this, in Islamic laws, I understand it, and I, you know, I'm no great scholar. Maybe somebody else out there is. Caesarean or somebody. Under Islamic law, they even have laws concerning the intermarriage between a human and a jinn. <laughs> How's that work out for the human? Well, <laughs> the offspring might be kind of weird. <laughs> but back in Celtic lore, that rings a bell, too. That clinks a chime because, you know, the legends of some of the druids, yeah. the wizards, they were halfling. Sure, and we also have the story in the Christian uh, tradition, you know, of the the gods that uh, the sons of of God that, that that came down from heaven and found the women of the earth fair and all the stuff that Sitchin talks about and all that. Or even uh, the firstborn, you know, that's a real humdinger in terms of Christian philosophy, the philosophy yeah, of yeah. the firstborn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, in the Egyptian traditions, you find the hybridized man and beast and bird and who knows what you know humans were combined with all kinds of things and Merlin he was right. he was 50-50 bar mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he was half mortal half half uh, elf wow so we sort of come full circle to this half and half deal this half dark half light half asleep half awake um, the, the, the the middle ground of hypnagogia the middle ground of you know the twilight space where where no rules really apply. That's true. And right? if you're a philosopher like Mike and I, sometimes are play with philosophy. Mm-hmm. It, it all seems to to describe and be metaphors for consciousness itself, the way consciousness. You know, um, you know, I mentioned I mentioned Terence earlier in that dream that I told you about. One time he said to me, you know, Mike, it's not the talking about the yin and yang symbol the chinese symbol you know of the of the white fish sort of wrapped around the black fish you know in a circle and he said you know it's not the black side and it's not the white side it's the it's the border 
in between them. Ah, Gandalf the Grey. <laughs> right? That's what he said. He said, you know, it's that, that mercurial area in between. And he made the, and he referred to this, and he used that to connect to, you know, this idea of light and dark and, and, and sleep and awake and the dream state and all this. And again, it's sort of the middle way, you know? I think uh, I'm going to go back to uh, recording my dreams again. I'm going to write them down. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to make because when I did that, I really did have a lot more access between the two worlds. You know, just sometimes you look at your notes later on, and they're kind of weird, but they do provide key words that help you go back and and connect the two worlds. I I think I'll do that. I'm recommending that to myself. Yeah, because I want to reestablish my connection between the worlds. That in my old age, I don't know, my brain is getting crusty or something. Uh, I'm losing it, that ability that I had more so when I was a younger man, even in my 30s and 40s, or and especially I had the link between the dream world and the wake-up world. Uh, very, very active when I was a little child. I, I look at I look at children how they sometimes stare intensely at a point in space like a cat, you know. <laughs> And, right. and their eyes are darting on, following something along out there. And I look, and there's nothing there. You know, I want that. They say become like a little child. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, people. Uh, if you think that this guy that I'm on the phone with has lost his imagination or has lost his connection to the dream world, well, zip on over to cyberspaceorbit.com. And then you'll see how attached this guy is to everything. And what a remarkable website, Kent. You know, I take it for granted because I've known you so long and because so much of it I've sort of lived, you know, with you. We've done so much of this stuff over the years together. And uh, But for people who see it for the first time or, or who really start to, you know, uh, take some time and dig around over there at orbit. I mean, it really is a remarkable thing that you've done, and I and I I don't I don't tell you often enough how much I appreciate it. There's there's a lot of politics now, and I'm frankly I'm not very political, and I get uncomfortable with it. But I feel it's kind of a responsibility in the overall chronicle that I'm making to keep track of what's going on at lots of different levels, and. Uh, some of it's pretty disturbing and, and frankly brings me down. I'd rather, I feel a lot more comfortable with the comets, uh, looking at the sun through the solar telescope. But I feel kind of a responsibility of citizenship right now. So, and it's bummed out a whole bunch of my readers, I think. Well, I get two messages. Some say you should knock off the politics and go back to the cosmic. <laughs> and then others will write me and say, dump the cosmic because we got to deal with these politics, you know. So <laughs> feedback is not an issue because I get both kinds. But in it, I, I'm just, it's a kind of stream of consciousness thing I'm doing, actually. And it goes back hundreds and hundreds of pages uh, and becomes a chronicle through time. And there are issues and links and stuff that I've dealt with that uh, have led to either a dead-end canyon, that happens sometimes, or or most commonly 
that you explore something and it leads to more mystery. Isn't that the truth? More mystery. And so it leads to a question, more questions, more questions. I've, I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm used to never having solid answers, more questions. Otherwise, it wouldn't have gone on for hundreds and hundreds of pages, right? Yeah, and I mean, we wouldn't have any use for you anymore. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if you click on those arrows going going backwards, you will find an amazing archive of uh, of, of great historical significance now, Kent. I mean, it really is. And, and I say that, for, you know, for my own... Uh, selfish reasons I, I i go i find myself all the time going back there and using the search engine or whatever to go find something that we've talked about at some point in the past and there's so much of that stuff that i never thought i'd ever worry about again you know what i mean but it's all sort of comes around i think a big issue and mike and i have talked about this that we need to get over our taboos and quit being such sissies we need to really confront the life that now, I know that happened a lot with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross back in the 60s and so on, the people that began to to deal with death and dying. But I think we need to do that as a culture. We need to not be stuck intellectually or emotionally in a taboo, and we need to look at it. And I think we need to talk to people that have experienced dying and then being resuscitated. That happens more and more all the time. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and I and think we need to just <clears throat> go head first and plunge right through the death issue. Right, and I think... I, I think, think that's a big, important thing we need to do right now. I agree with you, Kent. And I think that another, you know, another way to learn a little bit about these things is, you know, to look at some of the shamanic uh, uh, reports and some of the uh, the, the historical techniques of archaic shamanism because that's basically what these people are doing is crossing over into the dead zone and then coming back to tell you about it. Well, I wonder if that's happened to me. We talk about ghosts. There are a couple of experiences I've had in my life where I was a dang ghost. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time, those, those are tales for another time, okay? Yeah, and you got some too, I know. Yeah. All right, well, look, uh, it's been a pleasure, Kent, as always, and we've got to say goodbye here. We've got Cheryl Clapton going to be rolling in here any minute to play some music for the folks for the next few hours here so as always happy Halloween and a wonderful program thank you so much for everything you do and uh, uh, we'll give the website out one more time cyberspaceorbit.com the wonderful wizard of cyberspace Kent Stedman thanks man we'll see you alright I'll talk to you soon bye alright everybody that's Kent it's Mike you're listening to Radio Orbit we'll finish up with uh, another song here <clears throat> from Das Compilation. This is, uh, what do we got here? Paradise Vending, I guess, called How I Got Away. And if you're interested in this music, you can find the CD on the web at www.painfullymidwestern.com. That's the label. And it's my friend Jason Kafer and some other people that are involved here in the local music scene that have put this whole thing together. So, anyway, painfullymidwestern.com, the last tune of the evening here, Paradise Vending, How I Got Away. It's Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. I thank you all. And uh, come on back next week. We'll have David John Oates, and we'll do the whole reverse speech thing and find out what that's about, okay? On the web, one more time, Mike Hagan, H-A-G-A-N dot C-O-M. 
and KOPN, of course, on the web at www.kopn.org. Have a great night.